Welcome to The Backstory with Dr. Ricky Singh. This podcast is focused on bringing you the latest research-based information about dramatically improving health, well-being, and quality of life. And here's your host, Dr. Ricky Singh. Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. Uh, Today is the first episode of a two or three part series on both um, women's and men's health. And today our discussion is going to be mostly on women's health, hot flashes, sleep problems, mood swings. You know, these are all things and symptoms that people may be familiar with when it comes to menopause. Yet there is so much more to this biological transition that women experience. And I wanted to learn more about that and share it with you, the listeners. So our guest today is an assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Walt Cornell. She treats women from all ages, from adolescence through menopause. Uh, so I'm really excited to have this talk. So please welcome Dr. Susan Loeb-Zeitland to the backstory. Dr. Loeb-Zeitland, welcome. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me today. So let's, you know, let's jump right into it. Let's first talk about some definitions. You know, there's a lot of things that float around perimenopause, menopause. What do these words actually mean? Yeah. So menopause is the end of a woman's reproductive life. It's actually defined by 12 consecutive months without a period, the final menstrual period as defined retrospectively after you've gone 12 months without a period. So the average age of that is about 51 and a half, but a normal range is from about age 40 to in the mid 50s. So the number of eggs is declining in a woman, her hormones are decreasing, and that can lead to some symptoms. But you asked about perimenopause. So that's the time period leading up to menopause, where hormones can fluctuate a lot. Often it's marked by irregular periods, sometimes symptoms such as hot flashes. And that can last for a variable amount of time, sometimes two years, sometimes five years, leading up to that final menstrual period. You, know, you, you talked about a few of the symptoms and these are things that we hear, you know, when I was growing up and my mom was going through menopause, you hear about hot flashes and night sweats, maybe weight gain. How common are these symptoms and are these kind of the hallmarks that the body is actually changing into this phase? Yeah. So it's totally variable. Some women are lucky enough never to have these symptoms and some women suffer a lot. And so the most common symptoms like you just said are hot flashes, night sweats. As menopause goes on longer, vaginal dryness becomes a significant problem. But then there are other things that go along with that sleep, sometimes cognitive disturbances, urinary symptoms, sometimes there's weight gain and definitely mood changes. All of that can be part of it, but every woman goes through it differently. So the symptoms are totally variable. So for those listening out there, how does someone know or think they know that they might be starting this, I guess, perimenopause phase? How do you diagnose this? What happens when they come see you in the office? Yeah, it's really a clinical diagnosis. So we don't rely on blood tests for most women because those blood tests, especially during perimenopause, fluctuate from month to month and day to day. So it's really women who's in that age group that I talked about having irregular cycles and some of these symptoms, that's that's really how we make the diagnosis. So once that diagnosis is made and you say, okay, you know, patient Z, you're going through menopause. This is the end of your menstrual cycle. It's been 12 months. What, here's what to expect. So what, what do you tell these patients on what to look forward to the next following few years after being diagnosed with menopause? 
So sometimes the symptoms are worse actually before that final menstrual period as the hormones are fluctuating. And really it's so different for every woman, but some will continue to have these hot flashes for a number of years. Often they will improve. The ones that don't necessarily improve are the symptoms of vaginal dryness, which like I said earlier, gets a little bit worse. I mentioned sleep and cognitive disturbances, and often as time goes by, the great news is those will actually improve too. So, you know, it's not a life sent, like, you know, it's not a terrible thing to go through it, but it is a transition period for women. And that's our goal is to help women through this transition that is marked by hormonal changes and other symptoms. You know, you mentioned a few of the physical signs of menopause, like vaginal dryness, um, sometimes hot flashes and things like that. But what are, what are some of the other body systems that menopause affects? You know, women going through that period of life are worried about cardiac effects or GI disturbances. What are some of the other systems that get affected by this? Yeah, none of those are necessarily specific to menopause. They're often just part of the aging process. And of course, we encourage our women to stay up to date with their screening, like their uh, colonoscopy screening. But you mentioned cardiac disease. So that is the number one cause of death, both in men and women. And so as a woman gets to this age, it's really important to pay attention to cardiac health. It can be in a time of accelerated risk of cardiovascular disease. So we pay attention to symptoms, we monitor cholesterol levels because uh, menopause can cause an increase in the LDL cholesterol and also changes in the blood vessels that can lead to heart disease. So it is definitely a time to pay attention to those things, including family history. Some of the things are definitely age-related. Some of them are related to menopause. You know, we had a uh, we had a speaker on the podcast a few months ago, Dr. Amin, who talked about mm-hmm. women's heart health. And, you know, it, it goes underdiagnosed because women who tend to be the caretakers of their family tend to kind of put their health on the side and take care of their loved ones and their, and their children. But I'm glad you mentioned that, that cardiac risk factors do increase during menopause and cholesterol things. And so for you out there listening, it's important for you, you to get checked out. It might be a silent killer. You know, it's, uh, it's not a symptom that you might actually know about, but really important to get that looked at. So let's talk a little bit about the treatment for menopause. Certainly, you know, there are medications and people talk about something called hormone replacement therapy that I'm going to go into with you. But let's start with some of the non-pharmaceutical and non-medical treatments for menopause. What are some of the strategies that you employ with your patients? That's a great question. And you brought up something a minute ago that I wanted to expand on because This transition time for women is hormonally challenging, but there's also so many things going on in a woman's life, right? She's taking care of her children. She's probably at the peak of her career if she's working. She's caring for parents. So there's a lot of stressors in one's life. So definitely that's one of the very first things we talk about, just getting into good mindfulness practice or yoga or um, even just taking deep breaths can sometimes alleviate hot flashes. So that's definitely one of the first things we talk about. In fact, you know, there are studies that show that doing those practices can actually decrease the firing of neurons in the brain that improve hot flashes and other things. So definitely that is always the first and include, and also other behavior modifications, less alcohol. We talk about alcohol consumption, less caffeine. Caffeine can impact hot flashes and sleep. Monitoring for late night eating or other habits like that are, you know, can impact a woman's whole body and her sleep, which therefore affects everything else. Really behavioral modifications are things we talk about. We're cautious with herbal supplements because some of them are not regulated. We kind of go through what women are taking very carefully, don't always recommend them. 
But those are basically some of the non-pharmaceutical things that we'll try before getting to medication. So at, at what point do you and the patient determine that I've tried these behavioral modifications? I've tried yoga and mindfulness, which is, uh, you know, I, I commend you because I think that's a critical part of probably any disease that we treat, especially here at Wall Cornell is just taking a step back and trying to decrease stress and anxiety. But at what point do you trial these non-pharmaceutical agents? Uh, and then the patient comes back and says, you know what, let's try something a little bit different. What is that conversation like? Yeah, it's totally individualized. It's a shared decision-making process. We talk about benefits and risks. And then if indicated, there are medications, both hormonal and non-hormonal that can be used to treat these symptoms. So again, like I keep saying, it's really individualized and there are lots of things we can offer women. So let's talk about that. HRT, hormone replacement therapy. What is this? What does this mean? Um, And just kind of go over some of the basics without going into the weeds of what this is, but uh, what is HRT? So it's replacement of the hormones that we're lacking as we go through menopause, which are the ovarian hormones. So estrogen and estrogen in a woman with a uterus needs to be taken with progesterone to prevent the uterus from too much of a buildup of tissue, which over time could lead to cancer. But estrogen can be given both locally and systemically. Local treatment is amazing because it's very minimally absorbed and gets right to the problem. It's given vaginally for that vaginal dryness I was talking about. Almost no contraindications to that. And if that's the main problem, then we give it to a woman locally, get to the problem where it is. Systemic treatment really works best for hot flashes and the night sweats. It can be given both in an oral or a transdermal, so through the skin form. So let me give you just a little bit of background on hormone therapy. So I've been doing this for a while. And when I was first in practice, everybody was on hormone therapy. It was going to help women from every single problem from head to toe. And then came the Women's Health Initiative in 2002, which they, it was a huge randomized controlled study looking at really cardiovascular risks with women on hormone therapy. But they had to stop the study midway because they were showing an increased risk of stroke, cardiovascular disease, and breast cancer in women in the, their population. So over time, that's a long time ago, they reanalyzed the data and they should, that study really at the time had an average age of 63, right? So that's older than the average age going through their menopausal changes. So over time, as they reanalyzed the data and done more studies, the thinking is that hormone therapy is safest for women who are in their first 10 years of menopause up until age 60 for the shortest amount of time that they need it, right? So that is basically the mantra we use for hormone therapy. So when a 65-year-old woman comes in wanting to initiate therapy, I give that one more pause than I do with a newly menopausal woman. Because later on, we've shown that there is a possible increase of the cardiovascular disease and blood clotting and stroke. Now, I said there are two forms of hormones given systemically, one's oral and one's transdermal. We, in fact, know that given transdermally can actually decrease the risk of clotting in women um, taking hormone therapy. So that's actually the preferred route that I prescribe usually systemic hormone with a patch, the estrogen patch, usually oral progesterone with that if they need the progesterone. You know, it sounds like, you know, you mentioned that hormones are a critical part of this phase in, in a woman's life. And while you mentioned that the typical age of going through this is in late 40s, 50s, mid 50s, what about the patient who has undergone a surgery 
for a various reason, like a radical hysterectomy with or without taking out the ovaries. What are the implications of that? And what does that person kind of go through following that surgery? So it's more important if the ovaries are removed. A hysterectomy without leaving in the ovaries really don't, they don't, they go through menopause at the right time. But if the ovaries are removed, it's an abrupt cessation of hormones. So usually women get pretty significant symptoms, can get really significant symptoms. And that can be more dramatic than, you know, that perimenopausal kind of fluctuation that women had. And it's also been shown that as you, if it's done early, if women goes either into natural or surgical menopause earlier than 45 and definitely earlier than 40, they have more increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And so that's an important thing to note also. So between the patient who's gone through this surgical menopause, let's say at age before 40, versus the one who's gone through natural perimenopause and menopause in general, how do you tend to treat these patients differently? Yeah, you know, it's totally individualized and everybody will be treated differently. Some will need hormones to help them get through this. Some can't take hormones. So again, like I said, there are other alternatives that we'll use for those women. And I guess another important note here, not necessarily with, related to this question, is that during perimenopause, if we have to treat hormonal fluctuations, instead of using hormone replacement therapy that you're, you're referring to, we'll probably use a birth control pill because women in the perimenopausal phase can still get pregnant. And it's sometimes hard to predict their timing because their cycles are becoming irregular. That's great to know. You know, you touched on a topic, given that you've been dealing with patients with this condition for so many years, you're obviously well-versed in the literature. What are some, what are some of the misinformation out there that patients come to you? You know, they Googled menopause, they've Googled treatments, HRT, bioidentical HRT. What are some of the misinformation out there that you can kind of clarify for the listeners? Yeah, bioidentical is a really good one because there's a lot of information out there about that. And what I can tell you is that the hormones that I prescribe that are commercially available are bioidentical. They're, they are identical to the hormones that your body produces. But you'll see a lot of people marketing these compounded formulations that are supposed to be more identical to your body's hormones. And those again are not like I talked about with the herbal supplements are definitely not FDA regulated. And we don't always know what's being administered. Our practice is to stick with the FDA regulated medications that again are identical to your body's hormones. And that is a really important point. Uh, you mentioned herbal supplements. Uh, you know, we struggle with that in pain management and, and spine care uh, about not having FDA regulation on uh, various things. You know, everyone comes in with a new cutout from the newspaper or something they've seen online saying, hey, doc, can I try this? What are some supplements that you've seen patients take that have gotten some benefit? I know, you know, we don't want to talk about these as they're not regulated, but what are some of the supplements and herbal things that you've seen patients get some benefit with? Yeah, black cohosh is one. Black cohosh does have some estrogenic properties, but if used for a short amount of time, we actually feel it's probably safe and can be beneficial for some women. St. John's Word is another one. Those are two that I would think of right now. What's the 10-year outlook after a woman goes through menopause? What does their life look like? How different is it before this phase in their life? I think things settle down. Symptoms improve. Some of those stressors that I was talking about do improve over time. You know, sexuality does not have to decrease in these women um, by any means. And it's just a new part of life and it's healthy and normal. You, know, you are, are part and integral of this program at Walk Cornell called the Midlife Program. I want to spend a little bit talking about what is this program? Uh, what are some of the services that we offer here at Walk Cornell? And tell us about that patient experience when they kind of go through the different elements of the program. 
Absolutely. So that's a new program that we've initiated over the past year or so. And it's totally exciting. We're a multidisciplinary program treating patients individually. As I keep saying, every woman goes through this differently. And thanks to COVID, we've actually started this program with telehealth. And it's a great way to do a consult. Spent a lot of time with a woman talking about both her medical history and her background, and then go through the symptoms. And then we'll often get them in for an appointment after we maybe initiate some kind of strategy for them. We're really excited about the program and it's growing and we have a lot of resources online too. We have a menopause brochure and we have some podcasts and it can be found at the Cornell website. Who, who are some of the team members in the program? Are they all specialists in OBGYN like yourself or are there other disciplines involved? Ah, so uh, my colleague, Dr. Peggy Polineski and I are the gynecologists working with the program. And then we've contacted women providers from all the disciplines, sleep medicine, endocrinology, cardiology, rehab medicine, all the different areas that are willing to work with our patients, because this is such an important time period for women. I was reviewing um, your website and some of the work that you've done online. And one of the quotes that you that you mentioned is, you know, medicine isn't about treating symptoms. It's about treating the individual people. And you've kind of alluded to that throughout our talk today, but what did you, what did you mean by this quote? It's so much about getting to know your patients and their personal life, their family situation, the stressors in their life, the good things in their life, but it's more than just giving a medication. It's really about getting to know your patient and that's my practice and that's how I do it. And that's, I think that's appreciated by women. We've shared on some patients throughout my time here. And I know my patients definitely appreciate how thorough you are with your evaluation and how comprehensive, you know, it's not about medications and kind of a cookie cutter approach. It's about being individualized and I can speak on behalf of my patients that you've treated. Thank you very much for that. What are, what are some final comments from you? What do you want the listeners to know about menopause or perimenopause and some strategies on how they can minimize their symptoms and live the fullest, most complete life that they can? Pay attention to the symptoms and not be shy to present them to your provider. This is what we do. We're not embarrassed by it and we just want to help you. So if painful intercourse or vaginal dryness is your problem, we will ask you about it, but don't be shy to bring it up with us. You know, I mean, what you're saying is profound. You know, you you look on TV and you see millions of commercials on men's health, right? For erectile dysfunction and all the stuff that we care about, but very rarely do you see things that are specific to women's health. And I think it's important, just like you mentioned, to speak with your provider about it. You know, that's why you're here. You're here to help everyone you live a complete life and manage their symptoms to the best of their ability. Absolutely. We also have um, a Women's Health Wednesday podcast that we've just started with all issues relating to women's health. There are some about sexual health, physical activity, mental health, breast health. So look for those two because they can be really informative for women's health. Absolutely. We'll share those links, both a link to the midlife program and the link to the podcast uh, with our listeners. So thank you, Dr. Love Zeitlin, for sharing your expertise on menopause and this phase of the woman's life that that many, many, actually everyone will go through at some point. And thank you to the listeners out there for tuning into the Backstory Podcast. On behalf of my guest, remember when it comes to your health, remember when it comes to your wellness, we've got your back. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for having me today. Thanks for listening to The Backstory. Please subscribe rate the podcast and review the backstory on apple podcast spotify and google play music 
And feel free to share this podcast on social media or even your own website or blog. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. To learn more about Dr. Singh and his clinical research, please follow him on social media. You can also sign up for his newsletter by going to www.rickysinghmd.com. That's R-I-C-K-Y-S-I-N-G-H-M-D.com.